reported to be an unknown white male, approximately 30, slender build, height 5 feet 10 inches, weight 165 pounds, reported to be armed with what is thought to be a 30 caliber rifle. Captain Fritz told him, he said, you know, if something should happen to the president here, it'd be the worst thing that ever happened in Dallas, Texas. And they kind of, some of them, you know, made a lot of it. They, no, oh, nothing's going to happen, but it did. He came back as well. We just got word that he was involved in a, the president involved in a, a accident down the triple underpass. And so Chief Steve said, you take Sims and Boyd, you go to the school book depository. He says, they think that's where the shots came from. As we was putting him back and getting on the elevator, he said, well, Mr. Sims, if you and Mr. Boyd had been with him, I might not have shot him. So I've often wondered if he would have. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast, brought to you by the Assisted Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community, and now we want to give a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree and we all make mistakes. But together we can grow, we can heal, and we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back. Today I'm joined by the amazing Misty Van Curen and our sound Jedi Knight, Danny Canetti. Today's episode, we're gonna climb into a time machine and revisit a piece of history. History is a delicate record, a branch of knowledge that records a continuous series of events that shape the future. There's not a date and a single event on record that stands out in history that elicits such a vast range of reaction. From nostalgia, to suspicion, to tragedy, to reverence, and to nationwide reflection. November 22nd, 1963 lives in infamy in Dallas, Texas, as well as the entire world, and it truly shaped history. And still to this day, Almost 60 years later, it's shrouded in controversy, mystery, and innuendo. But the result of that day's tragedy couldn't be more definitive. The nation lost a young president, 
and the Dallas Police Department lost a young officer. Today's guest lived through this incident, was affected on both personal and professional level. He hired on the Dallas Police Department in 1952. He answered the very first call that was dispatched at the Northwest Division. As a member of the Dallas Police, Captain Fritz led elite homicide unit. He wore a unique Stetson hat. In that unit over a 10-year span, touted a 98% clearance rate for arrest for homicides. They were Dallas's finest. The phrase Dallas finest is a perfect description for today's guest. It's my honor to sit down with Elmer Sonny Boyd. Elmer, thank you for being on. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Sonny, starting in 1952, can you describe how Dallas was back then? Well, Dallas had a population around 200, I mean, 475,000, somewhere between that and 490,000, I think. And, uh, you know, it was the war, World War II had ended, and things were getting back pretty much to normal. And uh, that, at that time, uh, you know, I was working for the Lone Star Gas Company when I applied for the job of police officer for the Dallas. And uh, I, uh, the, well, th things were going pretty good, but wages wasn't too good. Right. And when I went to work, we, uh, the, I think the base pay was $255. And, but you had to work as a apprentice policeman for a year before you reached that level. Then after a, uh, a year, you had a three-year, I mean a three-month uh, period of probation. Now, if you got fired before you ended your probation, that is it. You had no recourse. And uh, but so after that, uh, they give you a, a choice to pay back your pension for three months. And so I did that. Had to get along to do it. But uh, then uh, you worked as a patrolman. Uh, you were working. Uh, a six and a half, uh, well, yeah, a six and a half, uh, no, a five and a half hour, uh, five and a half day week. I was trying to get to say. Anyway, you work five days one week, six days the next. Okay. While I was in uh, the police academy, uh, every other weekend you wrote observation. My first weekend, I rode with an accident investigator, Bob Winters, who later became a chief, a deputy chief. But uh, then the next week, you worked with a patrol out in patrol division. Well, it was uh, it was a lot different then. And on, when you were a rookie, and uh, during the afternoon, boarded. 30 to 6, you work traffic. Well, my first day, and I, 
went down to Akron and Main Street. Yep. I got down. I got off of the streetcar. You could get. You could ride the streetcar for free. <laughs> so I got off of my streetcar. Well, up on the second floor over on your left, there was people were hollering out the window, and I didn't know what they were doing. And they said, "Oh, that uh, man stole that blind man's accordion over, and he took off up this way." So I just went around on Elm Street. I caught him before he got to St. Paul. Came back. Had my, had my accordion over my shoulder and went <laughs> out. And when I came around the corner, everybody started clapping. <laughs> so nice. anyway, a uh, couple of weeks later, my niece and her husband, he was in the Marine Corps out in California. They called back and said, I made the front page of the newspaper out there. What news? Said, what newspaper was it? It was uh, Los Angeles something. Really? All right. And said, fleet-footed rookie police officer captures the meanest man in Dallas. Wow. Well, <laughs> meanest man in Dallas. Meanest man in Dallas. <laughs> it's changed man. a little bit. It's still a blind man's accordion. <laughs> yeah. Were you wearing your hat and tie then? No, I was in uniform. No, but but, but is a hat did you, in uniform? Did no, you wear a hat and tie? I wore a cap. Oh, okay. Cap. Wow. Yeah, yeah uh, I had to wear a cap in uniform, man. But you know, a lot of things happened. That's one of my first things that happened. That's great. Would you 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 told me before you answered the first ever call at the north northwest division? Can you describe that? Well. Uh, Dallas took in West Dallas, January 1st, 1953. I was working with M.O. Rogers. I was still pretty much a rookie. And uh, I was working with him. So we pulled the first shift out there. And I remember the first call we got was a stabbing in West Dallas. Got out there and my brother was working on the fire department. He was pulling the first shift on the fire department out there. So I remember the fire truck got stuck. We, at that time, we only had three streets out there that were paved. The rest of them was mostly dirt. <laughs> and they, got, they had the, uh, that. But anyway, uh, like I said, we answered the first call out there. They hadn't had any police out there at all at that time. And some of them, would, they would try you. They still and, do. Northwest. Yeah. Do they? <laughs> yeah. Well, every time I got a shorter partner, I got tried. But we always came out pretty good. <laughs> and, uh, of course, I, I was a little stronger then than I am now. But uh, I tell you, I had to... Things are different then. You know, when somebody jumped out and ran from you, you, you could catch them. <laughs> you could right. chase them and and I, I will say this, I never lost a foot race when they got them on the ground. Good. Captain Fritz used to tell the other officers now, if you freight that man, if you think that man's got, got a rabbit in it, you put Elmer at the back and he'll catch him. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. So, um, about, you, you told me before about a robbery you walked in on a store. Uh, that, well. Can you describe that? Now, that, that was in... Uh, over on the corner of Fitzhugh and Belmont in Northeast Dallas. Okay. I was uh, I was working a shotgun squad over there one night. Uh, 
it was a last night for that. I I had worked it one time before. It was uh, Mr. M's store. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that first night, I told Pinky Me that worked in the office. He he had security over some stores there. And uh, he had asked me to work. So I told him, I said, Pinky, I don't work there anymore. I said, that's a two-man store. And I'm back there where you sit, and you can see the cash register, but you can't see the door. And uh, I said, they can be in there on you before you know it. And you're setting duck back there. Well, I was supposed to work one night, and I got a call, and they sent me to Denver on a kidnapping case, so I skipped it that night. Well, when I came back, well, I had worked a robbery before for the manager of that store at another store, and I had caught that he got cut up in a robbery out in East Dallas. Well, uh, I told him, I, he said, well, can you work another night? I said, I don't want to work on the... So the manager of the store called me and asked me, he said, Elmer, if you just come work one more day, we've got private security coming in next day. So I said, okay. Well, about 10 o'clock, they were going to close at 11. He, uh, Mr. Easley came back and he said, well, Elmer, you ready for that coffee? I said, yeah, I'll take a cup now. I've been up here. And... He said, well, I'm going to step back in, and I'll go make it take about five minutes, but I'm going to get these bottles out. He had a, these little carts full of cold drink bottles. Well, I said, while you're uh, doing that, I'm going to step in the restroom. Well, I went in there and just stayed long enough to do what I had to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, he came back. I left the door cracked, and I, I heard him when he came by. He said something. I thought he was talking to me. And I heard a bottle rattling. So when I got through, I flushed the commode. And I stepped out, opened the door and stepped in. And when I stepped out there, he had Mr. Easley down in front of the safe with a gun poked in his ear. And he turned around. And I just walked right into him. (laughs) He put the gun up here and said, get back in the restroom. Well, I thought he was getting ready to kill us both. Because we had some killed at that time in the back. Well, I I walked, I backed up, and as I went in, I opened the door, come back this way, and he was still poking that gun. <laughs> and as I stepped back, I grabbed that door, and I slammed it and hit that gun, and I could see that hole come through that door just as plain as anything, just like slow motion almost. It went right over my left ear and into a water pipe behind me. And water started spewing out. Well, at that time, uh, he he backed off, and I heard some cold drink uh, things taken out, and it was Mr. Easley who jerked loose from him and turned those over. I thought it was him going out the door. Well, as I started, I got my hide a pistol under my belt here, my shotgun is right where he was standing right by my shotgun <laughs> up against the wall in between those cold drink things. And uh, as I came out, I don't know, something just told me I caught myself and I turned around and he was up against the wall and he fired another one went right under my chin and hit a haydock block and made a place about that big in the wall there. 
and he had a hold of the door, and he slammed it and went on out. time I could get that door, he was going out the front. Well, when I got to that, my car was parked at the end of the building. Uh-huh. As I got there, there's a car pulling away from the uh, driveway, I mean the uh, curb out here, and one pulling out of the alley. I didn't know which one was which. Well, at the same time, I hear all this screeching out on Fitzhugh coming east. I looked up, here come a car without any headlights, and I thought it was his pickup man. And I almost took a shot at him, yeah. and I realized him was being officers as two FBI agents. They were, now they said they were sitting on a spot looking for a fugitive out of Florida, but I always believed that they had some information that that place was going to be robbed. And uh, so I stopped the car that went down Belmont. Well, they stopped the one that went north on Bennett. We were just uh, half a block apart. And uh, I had a, a woman and a young kid with her, that one I stopped. But time I got back to the store, it was ankle deep in water. I had to get the fire department out there. And, wow. uh, of course, I, I was lucky I didn't get hit. So, but I had to stay up took me to about 3 o'clock to get all my paperwork done. So I went home. Next morning I was eating breakfast, and they came on television telling about some off-duty detective getting in a shootout out. And... So Avon looked at me and my wife. She said, honey, was that you? And I said, yes, that was me. She said, well, why didn't you wake me up? <laughs> I didn't wake her up. I said, well, well, I need you to need to get you upset. I said, I'm okay. And so that was the end of that. Uh, that old boy, he ended up getting 25 years for shooting at me. Wow. Uh, well, they they had a... Uh, the judge admitted something, and uh, a jury was ready to give him more. And they uh, they asked me if 25 years would be okay, and I said, well, because at that time, a life sentence, you could be out seven and a half years anyway. So that was fine with me, and we didn't have to go to court anymore. But when I got out, after I went to work for Ulysses, uh, one morning I got up and I went out making my uh, arraignment sheets for the judge. I look, here's Larry Rex Carmichael. I went in there and he sat back in his uh, cell and I said, Larry, how long have you been out of the penitentiary? I said, first of all, I said, what did they got you for? Oh, they caught me smoking a joint down at Baby Dolls. <laughs> 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 She's I'm a disc jockey down there. Well, it was probably a felony back then yeah. for a joint. Yeah. Well, anyway, I says, uh, how long have you been out of the penitentiary? He said, oh, I've been out now uh, six months. And I says, you had not robbed any stores lately? He said, look, mister, who in the hell are you anyway? I said, my name is Elmer Boyd. Oh, Elmer Boyd, I thought we got our stuff sort of 10 years ago. He, he thought you were coming back to <laughs> settle up. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. That, but uh, anyway, it, uh, 
that was uh, the end of that. I, I, I it's really a good conclusion to that. Yeah. That, uh, his, yeah. that guy smoking yeah. a joint and baby dolls. Mm-hmm. He ended yeah. up in jail again. Yeah. Hey, Sonny, tell us how you got picked to go to homicide. Well, I tell you, uh, I had made, within six months' time, when I was working West Dallas, I caught two groups of safe burglars and with a with a safe in the car. I chased one into Irvin, and they ran into a tree. There was four of them in the car. Well, when they hit that tree, they had one of these old keister safes about this big square. They chipped it out of concrete over in Fort Worth. They couldn't get in. They were taking it out there to a safe burglar that knew how to get in. So... Uh, when it crashed into that, they all jumped out. If it hadn't, this safe went through and pushed the, hit the steering wheel, pushed it out through the windshield. If he hadn't got out, it would killed him. And we caught him hiding in a brush pile down in a creek. And uh, the other time, uh, we got after this car camp. We saw it pull out of a service station out there at Singleton and Burnell. And without any lights, well, I thought it was some of those Mexican kids out there uh, just driving. So I flicked my lights on. When I did, they took off. We go out and we chase them, and it turned off over there where I-30 and uh, Loop 12 is now. Mm-hmm. They went by through there. I was following them. They ran through a fence. I went through in behind them, and I caught the fence post. Then they went off in the old river thing. Well... They got in there, they were driving a 49 Oldsmobile. And uh, so I went up, and that thing was, the engine was racing, and smoke filled up in the car. And uh, so I grabbed a hold of the door, and I said, you better get out of there. I, thought, I still thought it was kids. I got, uh, got a hold of the door, you better get out, you're going to burn up in there. About that time, he blew the whole side of the car right over where my hand was. I had my shotgun, and about that time, that thing got off of that tree that it was on and went off down. I emptied my shotgun in the back of that car. Oh, no. Never, <laughs> never hit. I, I went into the back seat. Most of my bullets went into the back seat. Oh. Never one of them got hit. With a, they jumped out of the car after they'd gone about 50, mile, uh, 50 yards, and... They set up a command post out there. <laughs> they all jumped out and run. And we had policemen all over everywhere. Well, they finally, they secured the command post and didn't get them. And uh, after they called, a woman called and said, you need to come back out of here. She says, one of those guys came down out of that tree. Right after y'all left. He was hiding up there the whole time? Yeah. Wow. So... Uh, just before daylight, well, my partner and I, uh, no boy, stole a car and was getting a push, and we caught one of them, then we caught the other three. They they had a safe in the car, too. <laughs> and so then I had, uh, shortly before then, they'd had a robbery out on uh, Denton Drive at a cable store. Well, my partner and I, we were in the West Dallas Housing Project coming from Westmoreland down Vicker, Vicker Street. And we got to Hampton, and they, they put out this description of the hijacker that hijacked the cable store. 
said he was armed with a forty-five automatic and took $95, he said. Well, two of the officers had gone in that store, and he was he was locked up in the cooler, and they got him out. And and they said, we well, was driving a, a lay, an old model uh, dark-colored Ford. Well, he's... We caught the light, and it, it turned red for Hampton. As we're turning around, but they said he was wearing a white shirt. <laughs> so I looked up, and here's this 49 Ford there. And uh, I said, Bob, you think I could be that hijacker? He looked at us. I turned around and flicked on my lights. This I got a hold of the door, told him to get out. He floorboarded that thing, and you know, a fishtail. And he and, and liked to knock me down when it come around. <laughs> Anyway, he jumped in. Well, they get down there where the fire station is. of 36 is on Northampton. He made a left on Life Street, and he lost it. And time we got there, uh, the right car door was open, and I heard him running. But there's a house over there where they had a light on, and he went between me and that light, and about the time I, I took a shot at him, I tripped over the a wire down there and broke my fly slide. I couldn't find it. Bob Cosan was working with me, and he said, Was that you, Elmer? Are you all right? I said, Yeah, I'm all right, but I lost my fly slide. Mm. And I started over. There's a big old oak tree there. I was going across there to meet Bob because I couldn't see what. But when I shot, I heard him holler. And... When I got in the shade, I know I stumbled over him. He had fallen under that thing, and I stopped. And about that time, Bob got there, and I got a hold of him. I said, "Get up!" He said, "I can't get up." And I said, "Why?" Well, he said, well, "I'm hurt." And I looked at him, and I felt I searched him. I got ninety six dollars out of his right front pocket, and he had some forty five shells in his left. But uh, anyway. Uh, I got him up. And I, I, well, I, I tried to get him up, and he said, "Finally, he said, Mister, I'm telling you the truth. I can't get up.'" I said, "What's the matter?" He said, "My foot." I said, "There's something wrong with my foot." He shot himself. Well, I looked at. The, I, I took a shoe off and looked at his foot. There wasn't anything wrong with his foot. And finally, I turned. And I was trying to get. And as I got him by the belt, I hit, hit him right square in the back of his, and it went into his right hip, and it paralyzed him. Wow. And so when it came time for trial, found out that he had pulled uh, several other robberies, had used that same car in one two weeks before and went back and stole it off the same parking lot at Jackson and uh, Irving down there. Wow. So and, at, after that, did you, is that when you went to homicide? Yeah. Oh. Because I'd worked with a couple of guys that was in homicide. I, I was the first patrolman that went from directly into homicide. Did, did, uh, did you have to go through an interview process with uh, Captain Fritz? No. Really? He just no. pulled you? Okay. No. He, but it sounds he, like they he, knew your he work. Ta- he talked to the other people. Mm-hmm. And... He knew I would. He knew I liked to work. Well, for the listener, Captain Fritz, he spent forty-nine years with the Dallas Police Department, and he was known for being a just relentless interrogator. 
and wow. he ran the homicide unit for several years, and police was his life. From your experience in dealing with him, what, what was he like as a boss? I'll tell you, if you didn't mind working, he was a good boss. Now, before I went in there, I had several officers trying to get me, say, you wouldn't you wouldn't like to work for Captain Fritz. said, he, he's tough. And so I said, well, I've always wanted to be a homicide officer, and I'm going to go. Well, after I got in there, I found out those same people had tried to get in there and could, and he wouldn't right. take them. And they were trying to discourage me from going this high. But Sonny, how old were you when you went to homicide? I was, uh, let me see, I was 30 years old. Wow. I just turned 30. And, and you guys didn't just work murders, right? We worked murders, rapes, robberies, kidnappings, extortions, and, and I had to investigate all suicides. And then how many detectives were there? I made the 10th one. <laughs> well, we had a lieutenant and a, a five-power man, and a secretary and a captain. Yeah, we... What, we, um... The suits and the Stetson hats, is that what everybody wore on that unit? Well, everybody wanted to. Right. Uh, did. <laughs> that was like y'all's calling yeah. card, right? Yeah. We wanted to be as much like him as we could. Okay, <laughs> yeah. all right. Did he did that he started that right? He started yeah, that look. Yeah, okay. he did. He did. Well, it's iconic when it comes to Dallas, uh, the history of Dallas police. You can't find any pictures of Captain Fritz in that homicide unit from that era, and, and see that, and that stands out. Yeah, yeah. We we used to have a ever uh, oh, about twice a year we'd have a get together. Oh, excuse me. Oh, you're okay. Uh, well, we'd all get together and we'd had a little can uh, we'd put money in it and we'd get uh, buy steaks and have them cook them for us and we'd have a get together. And uh, he, we used to call it the Cracker Jack Club. That's what he called some, some of us, <laughs> Cracker Jack. Somebody asked him one time, so why? What kind of men are you having? What is that? He said, oh, I got some Cracker Jacks. <laughs> <laughs> so that we, we always said, we're going to have a Cracker Jack <laughs> But Now, he uh, he was strict now. He says, uh, when we got work to do, we work. But then if uh, things... Uh, and I'll say this, I never asked him for a day off in my life that he didn't give it to me. He said, well, you know whether you got it coming or not. Well, he knew who was doing the work. Right. So we didn't we didn't just work on one case. We worked on everybody's case. The fact is, we probably cleared as many as other cases. Sims and I, we, we, we worked together a long time, and he was a good detective, too. How long did y'all work together? Well, it's almost 20 years. He he retired a year before I did. Uh, yeah, he and I started to work in October the 15th, 1957. Wow. Yeah. Sonny, I'm going to move ahead to, to 1963. Okay. Okay. Um, the weeks leading up to the presidential visit, what was what was y'all's involvement with the planning for that? Well, uh, Captain Fritz 
and Mr. Soros from the Secret Service and Four Soros. Four Soros, yeah. yes. And uh, see, I forgot. I know Mr. Bookout, Jim Bookout. He was with the FBI, and of course, Sheriff Decker was sheriff at that time. They got together planning it, and originally, uh, Captain Fritz and Sims and I were scheduled to be in the parade about three or four uh, uh, cars back from John Connolly. Mm. And the night before, I wasn't at the meeting. Lieutenant Baker and Captain Fritz went out. They had somewhere around Lovefield, some place they had this meeting. Well, they decided that we wasn't going to be in the parade, Captain Fritz and I. They said, but we want y'all to meet him at the plane and get him to his limousine. And like I said, now, Lieutenant Baker's one that told me this, and I'm, I'm sure he told me right, because I know Lieutenant Baker. And he says, uh, Captain Fritz told him, said, no, said, if, if there's a crowd of people out there, you'll need uniform officers to get him through a crowd, so they'll pay more attention to uniform officers than will a plane clothes. A suit. said, if we're not going to be in a parade where something should happen, we can be of some assistance. Will you get him onto the trademark? Then we'll take care of him. Well, when we went to work, we thought we was going to be in a parade, and then we wasn't, Sims and I. And uh, so Captain Fritz told him, he said, you know, if something should happen to the president here, it'd be the worst thing that ever happened in Dallas, Texas. And they kind of, some of them, you know, made a lot of it. They, no, oh, nothing's going to happen, but it did. Was there a feeling of concern that something yes, was going to happen? Yes. Uh, at that time, feeling was running real high against the president at that time. And that, at that morning, they had a whole big page on a, in a newspaper about it. Treason. Yes. Wanted for treasons. Yeah. So that. And uh, so... Uh, we went on and went to the trademark, and uh, Chief Stevenson, he was a deputy chief, I think, or might have been assistant chief, I, I forgot. But he and I and Captain Fritz were out there, and there was a FBI agent, I can't remember what his name was. Anyway, we were assigned to the head table where he's to make his speech. Okay. Well, five minutes before he was supposed to be there, Chief Steve said, Captain Fritz, you take your man. Y'all make your final security check here, and he's due here in five minutes. So we, just as we got started, he came back as well. We just got word that he was involved in a, the president involved in a, a accident down to triple underpass. And Captain Fritz says, there's probably more to it than that. And so Chief Steve said, you take your man. Take Sims and Boyd, you go to the school book depository. Says they think that's where the shots came from. Did did y'all go did did y'all go to by Parkland first at any point? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. What, what what happened when you drove up to Parkland? Oh, what'd you see? When when we put uh, he oh yeah he told us uh, when we left there he said they own the what the uh, motorcades on the way to Parkland. Says so y'all go to Parkland and see what you can find out. As we pulled out on the 
Stedman's at Industrial, here come the motorcade. We followed it to Parkland, and they pulled in as they were taking him out. Well, we got out of the car. I stayed with a car, Sims, and Captain Fritz started walking up because Chief Curry met him, and that's when uh, Chief Curry says, uh, Captain Fritz, you take your men and go to the school book depository. That's where they think the shots came from. Well, at that time, Sheriff Decker was there, he said, Cap, can I get a ride back to my office with you? So he rode back to the school book depository. Did you see the president when I, they were taking him out? I saw him when they were taking him out. But, I mean, I was I was way down from him. You could, could you describe they were just taking him out and putting him on a stretcher? Is that what happened? Well, they were... Uh, I can't say what they were doing. He was all, They were already had him there and okay. was taking him in. And Jackie Kennedy was there as well? Yeah, she was there too. Okay. Um, when you when you, you went straight from Parkland to the uh, school, book school book depository, you, what happened when you got there? Well, as soon as we got there, we, Captain Fritz Sims and I, we got out, we stopped on every floor going up, and we found officers on each floor. And uh, we, uh, got, we went on up to the seventh floor. Uh, there's no freight elevator back there we had to go up on. And while we were up there, well, uh, someone hollered up and said, oh, we found some empty casings down here. So we went back down there, and I stayed with those until our crime scene people got there. On the sixth floor? Mm-hmm. Okay. And while I was over there, well, Luke Mooney and I, I, I can't think of what the guy's name was, is over with him. Good. Uh, uh, anyway, one of them hollered told Captain Fritz, well, I think we found the rifle over here is in the northwest corner down between some books and things over there. So uh, uh, Lieutenant Day went over and he picked up the rifle and, and Captain Fritz took a share, took a Five round out of it. Wow. When when you found the shell casings by that that window, it was by that window, right? Mm-hmm. That, could you did you notice the st- sniper's nest set up? Could you tell that it had been used for? A- well, well, only thing I could tell, I found a there was a brown paper sack with some chicken bones and things in it. Because he ate there. Like yeah. it. And uh, so. Uh, while we were there, uh, we, we were there within 15 minutes. We'd accounted for everybody except Lee Harvey Oswald, and uh, I, I really believe that if we'd have been in a parade, I don't believe he'd ever got out of the building. Because after we got there, nobody got out of the building. And uh, uh, yeah, he uh, there was one uh, Marion Baker. He stopped and talked to him on the way down up on. I think the third floor, second floor, somewhere. Yeah, he actually stopped Oswald. Yeah, yeah. His... stopped and talked to him. Well, he was in traffic, right, Baker? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's deceased now too. But uh, and while we were there, that's when we found out that Officer Tippett had gotten shot over in uh, Oak Cliff. Okay, real, real quick on Officer Tippett, you had a personal relationship. Yes, he came in. He came in the next school after I did. Okay, and we worked together in Oak Cliff. Uh, you know, 
we worked after we uh, uh, were uh, regular police officers. We worked together quite. It, see, at that time, if sometimes we didn't have enough to fill out, and we'd work together a lot. And uh, Oak Cliff was a pretty close knit group over there. And a couple of times we'd made we'd gone out to Keys Park, took the kids out there to picnic and thing. And his kids were about the same age as mine. We was growing up, and he was just a, he was a good officer. Tippett was a good officer. Whenever you found out that he he had been, did you find out that he had been shot and killed or just shot? I found out that uh, time we got to the office, we knew that he was dead. Okay. Yeah. I, I, how did you feel what, what uh, your think, friend? Well, of course, uh, you know, it, 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 it bothered me, you know. Cause he and I have been close ever since he started work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, he just, uh, I, I never feared when he was with me because he, he was a good backup officer, I can tell you. And, but he just had some bad luck. Yeah. He ran across the evil guy on the wrong day. Yeah, well, it wasn't very long before then. He and Dell Hankins answered a call on West Commerce at a bar over there about a suspicious person. And uh, they went in here sitting in a telephone booth, and J.D. got him up and asked him for identification. While J.D. was looking at his identification, he pulled out a pistol and poked it right in his head, and the thing snapped. He had, I forgot whether it was rimfire ammunition in a center fire gun or vice versa, but the thing snapped. And when Dale killed him, Dale killed that hijacker. Wow. Yeah. And then shortly after that, well, he hadn't been back to work too awful long. Uh, he and D.H. Smith was over on King's Highway and answered a disturbance call. And as they went in, this guy was, uh, you know, he'd run everybody out, but they didn't tell him that he had anything. But they said, he, so as they went in, he stabbed the, uh, uh, Smith in the shoulder. With, uh, J.D. grabbed him. He hit him in the stomach with an ice pick, then hit him in the knee with an ice pick. And that ice pick broke off flesh with his knee uh, with his kneecap there. They went to the park and they sent him home a couple of days. His knee started swelling up. That thing would got into the and he got it infected and I think they had to take his kneecap off. Wow. Yeah. I'm I'm glad uh, you're talking about Officer Tippett because mm-hmm. you know we. That day is known for uh, President Kennedy. He was a real killed. hero that day. Yes, he right. was a real hero. Yeah, if if he wouldn't have given the ultimate sacrifice, there's no telling when Lee Harvey would have been yeah. found after that. When, yeah. Whenever you, you're at the book depository, when you find that out, right? Yes, okay. we we had an address over on uh, in Irvine on him. Mm-hmm. Fact is, we were getting ready to go to Irvine mm-hmm. when. Uh, Chef Decker called, uh, uh, sent word over there that our office was trying to get in touch with us. And uh, so that address in Irvine was just two blocks from where my nephew lived. Okay. I mean, I mean, two houses from where my nephew lived. I lost him last December. He's 90 years old, my nephew. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and then when I got to the 
sheriff's office, uh, I called office, and Baker, Lieutenant Baker was there. He said, I think we have the man that shot Tippett on the way in. And while we were talking, they brought him in. And he said he gave the name of Lee something. Lee uh, Idell or something like a- that. Alex Hydell is Alex what he Idell, gave. Yep. But, but he was, uh, that some of them had called him Lee. And <laughs> that's why. So we were straight up there. And when I got there, Kenneth Lyons, one of the patrolmen, was sitting in the interrogation room with him. Captain Fritz said, I told me to get him in, bring him in here. Well, we got him out, and Captain Fritz talked to him. And we're getting a show up ready downtown. And that's when, before we went down there, I searched him. I figured he'd been searched, but I found five live 38 seals in his pocket. You searched Oswald and found those? And I said, what are you doing with these? Well, I just had them. <laughs> right, right. Did, um, what was your impression of him when you first met Oswald? Well, uh, you know, he really is just acted normal. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't excited. And, uh, but, and I asked him if we could bring him in, when we brought him in to set him down, well, I was waiting for them to come in, and I said, what happened to you? He says, I struck an officer, and he struck me back, which he should have. And I thought that was unusual for an uh, answer to give. Yeah, I said, I struck an officer, and he struck me back, which he should have. And he would talk to you about anything except the shooting tippet and the president. He said, I hadn't shot anybody. And because uh, he told us, you know where he met his wife, Marina, over in Mintz, Russia? Mm-hmm. He talked about going down to being at Fair Play for Cuba down in New Orleans, but he denied going to Mexico. And that's when Jim Hostie, the FBI agent, came in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, FBI, he flipped up his badge and he said, I'm Special Agent Jim Hostie from the FBI. And he, that's when he got up. I had his hand cuffed in front of me. He was standing at the end of the desk like he sat down on him. And he got up and he hit that desk. And he said, you don't have to tell me who you are. You're the one that's been out there accosting my wife while I wasn't at home, and I don't appreciate it. And that's the only time that he... Got emotional. Yeah. Except one other time when we were coming out of one of the show-ups down there, he, uh, some of them asked, why did you shoot the president? I didn't. I didn't shoot the president. They tried to make a patsy out of me, and that's when he was holding up. Oh, the the hammer and the sickle. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. That pic- I've got that picture today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that picture right there. Yeah. Yeah. Is that you in that pic? I'm going to be posting this picture <laughs> yeah. when I release yeah. it. Oh, yeah. The first time I got that picture. First time I ever saw it, a guy from Dublin, Ireland, sent it to me. Had a big old poster about this big. Woman asked me, he wrote me a real nice letter. He wondered if I would sign that. He wanted to put it up in his brother's pub in Dublin, Ireland. Wow. So I sent it back to him. Yeah. <laughs> At what point did the Secret Service and FBI take over the 
kind of try to take over that investigation? And did y'all work well with them? Well, some of them we did. Uh, there was one or two of them, you know, that I didn't get it because he was trying to get my notes and I wouldn't give them to him. Oh, yeah. Uh, he didn't know they were. When I left, I kept a notebook. And when I left out there, I took it, put it in the bottom of the lieutenant's drawer over there. Was gonna get it when I come back. So I came in, and here's this uh, FBI agent over there going through all the lieutenants. And I raised those books. I looked, and I got around. He said, "Wait a minute! I hadn't got." This. I said, "This is mine. You, you don't get this." <laughs> he didn't get it either. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I really didn't care for anything that he had in it, but he didn't have well, it. It wasn't his asked. business. What, yeah. Did Captain Fritz, did he get along well with him? He got along with him most of the time. He got along with them pretty good. Now, there's some of them, they, before that time, that they wasn't getting along too good. <laughs> but after Jim Bookout started coming up there pretty regular, well, we, we got along good with him. And uh, things seem like things changed, you know, well, just before this thing. Right? Did you did you hear anything about what was going on at Parkland with them wanting to remove uh, President Kennedy's, Kennedy's body and not leave it at the end? I know there was a there was a fight that went on with the medical examiner and the Secret Service of them wanting to remove the president's body, and at the time of state law. Uh, mandated that the body stay in Texas because it was a homicide in Dallas. Yes, I heard about that. I mean, I wasn't involved in it, but I felt like that the chief didn't take a strong enough stance against it. Chief Curry? Yes, and I really think if we'd have still had Chief Hanson, I think it would have had a lot harder trouble, uh, more trouble getting him out. Well, I've heard and read that it got pretty physical up there at Parkland. They a lot of shoving and pushing and shouting. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just glad I wasn't up there. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> so, so, I don't like a shoving and pushing. I, yeah. I had some of that out in the hall. Out yeah, right. And oh, I was trying to get Oswald through the hall for yeah, the press conference. And I had some of it with LBJ one time down in the Dolphins Hotel. Really? Yeah, that's when they spit on Lady Bird and was calling him Judas. And yeah, wow. I, I thought we were really going to have it. I was right in the middle of that. I had LBJ on one side and here uh, uh, his wife on the other side and up on that stairway. I, I know what was fixing to happen, but I got him off. Back to when he had Oswald, when he doing the initial interviews, at, at what point did they decide we're going to go ahead and move him to the jail, and then were, were you? What what was your role when they decided that? Well, uh, uh, really, uh, we were going to we were scheduled to be with him, but we worked till three thirty that morning and went home. And uh, they had decided that they were going to move him uh, that night. I think just before we uh, before midnight, and they asked Men Sims if. Said, well, y'all want to go home and come back, or you want to stay? And I said, well, we've been down here all day. Why don't we just stay? We decided to stay and uh, let y'all go home. And so that's what we did. 
and till the next morning then I was out at my mother-in-law's and watching it on television, me and my father-in-law. And uh, so when he came out there, Ruby jumped out there and shot him. I told my father-in-law, that looked like old Jack Ruby. And sure enough, it was. And, of course, I knew where I was because I had to tell him and I had to go back to work. And I got back to work and... Uh, then we, Sims and I, had to handle Jack Ruby then. So y'all knew Jack Ruby yeah. pretty well? Mm-hmm. What, yeah. How did you know him? What was the well, relationship uh, with that guy? Well, uh, we had all answered calls to his old place. He, he had problems. He'd call the police. He liked police officers. The Carousel Club? The Carousel Club, and he had an old club down on South Irving, the old Silver Spur used to be down there. And, There's well, strip clubs, I think right? He had, that was, he had, bar, a, he had one out in Oak Lawn. Oh, did he? Yeah, okay. I think he had one out there, too. What, so whenever... I never was in that in Oak Lawn. Well, <laughs> did you... Did, when, you uh, when you found out, when you saw that he shot him, huh? did you immediately just get up and go back to work? Uh, I called, and they, uh, they told me to call. You know, if something happened, I was call, and I called, and they told me to get him back to work. Okay. So we went across, uh, Sim and I went, he had a little dog, and I think we went across the parking lot. The first thing he said when Sims was getting him out, he said, Mr. Sims, are you and Mr. Boyd mad at me? Sims said, no, Jack, we're not mad at you, but what you did is a terrible thing. He said, there, within uh, two hours, we'd captured the one that shot the president and Officer Tippett, and he was making us look bad. And that's when he said, well, I just didn't want to see Jack and the rest of the family to have to come back to court. Then as was putting him back and getting on the elevator. He said, well, Mr. Sims, if you and Mr. Boyd had been with him, I might not have shot him. So wow. I've often wondered if he would have. Yeah, and, we'll, uh, we'll wonder that, too. Yeah. So, so did, were you running or part of the investigation whenever? Because now he is a homicide suspect himself. Were you? Uh, well, did you find out initially that Oswald had passed? Uh, I found out that. Uh, well, time I got to work, I knew it. I okay. don't remember if I heard it on the radio or what, but. So, so you knew that that Ruby was. Uh, now the homicide yeah. suspect for, mm-hmm. for killing Oswald. Mm-hmm. And did you lead that investigation? No. Okay. That you're going back to that Ruby's dog. He left that little dog in the car while he went to the Western Union, right? To uh-huh. to send money to one of his, yeah, he did. his employees. Yeah, he just, uh, I mean, he couldn't have planned the thing because it's supposed to already happen before then. Y- yeah, yeah. going back to that, the Oswald being moved, it was initially it was initially he was going to uh, be part of a – it was going to get moved in an armored vehicle. Yeah. Well, the armored vehicle would not fit down that, yeah, that uh, down the and, ramp. Yeah. yeah. And so then that's at the last minute they had to change it to a uh, that, that mm-hmm. sedan yeah. that they were backing in. And the person backing in didn't get in a certain place because if you see the video of, of Oswald getting shot, you see Captain Fritz come out and he's looking around for the sedan. Yeah. And that's when Ruby had his opportunity. Yeah. Hey, Sonny, do you remember <laughs> what he shot him with? What kind of weapon? 
what kind of weapon was mm -hmm. that, that that Jack used? He you had a, it was a thirty-eight. It was a thirty-eight. Yeah. Yeah, I think Joe Cody claimed that he bought it for him. Really? He can, he may have. He did, but I, well, I won't say that. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, we, Ruby Ruby was known as a hothead, right? Well, he could get, be hot-headed. Mm -hmm. I mean, he wasn't a big gangster like I tried to make him out. Yeah. He might have been a wannabe, but he right. I've he heard, was, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the night that this, the night of the assassination, of course, we're all working, and long about uh, 10 o'clock, Jack Ruby called up there and wanted to talk to me, or Sims one. Sims talked to him, and he said, this is Jack Ruby. I'm down here at Saul's Turf Bar. I had him make up 30 sandwiches, and I want to bring them up there to you because I know you've been working. Sims said, now, Jack, said, we've been swapping out. We've been going over to the hotel. And so we we would okay. He brought them down and gave them the news people. Is that how he got into the news conference? He uh, actually at, Ruby was actually in Oswald's yes, news press he conference. Was, he was one down there because I saw him up on the desk thing standing back. Back, excuse me. He was actually posing as a reporter. He actually asked a question of Ruby of Oswald. <laughs> well, I couldn't tell who was asking the question down yeah. there. I was up there with Oswald. I was up at the stage with Oswald at all the show-ups. <laughs> How was he on the stage when he was doing that press conference? What was it, what, what was his demeanor? I saw it, but yeah. you were right there with him. You just what well, was his demeanor? Oh well, uh, he was just kind of like others, except one time they asked him something and he kind of snapped back, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah, but. When he was going out is when he started. See, before we went went home that night, well, we went down. We went up there as little before twelve o'clock, as best I can remember. Anyway, Chief Curry says they won't take him down to the news, so the news people could see that he was ever all right. So. Uh, we, he said, now, I want all my homicide officers down in that uh, newsroom, or the short room where they, he said, I want all of you down there. And he told me and Sim, now, if anybody tries to touch him or anything, you take him out of there and get him and put him in jail immediately. Well, that's where we were down there about five minutes, and sure enough, that's where we as soon as we took him and put him in jail. And that's the last time we had anything uh, to do with him that night. So we, we, so we worked till 3.30 both nights after that happened. What did what Ruby, uh, what did he say was the reason that he shot Oswald? Well, he shot, he said that the reason, he said, I just didn't want Jackie and the Kinder family to have to come back down here to court. So he was going to get justice right there. Yeah, I, I don't believe that. I think he thought he was going to be a big hero. That's what I think. Yeah, I can see that. Um, did you have to testify in Jack Ruby's case? No. No? I didn't have to testify in it. Thank goodness. <laughs> whenever, whenever he was shot on live TV, when Oswald was shot, what did? What was the reaction from Captain Fritz and Chief Curry? What? What did? 
What was their reaction well, that you heard of? I wasn't in. I know. I know the chief caught some flack over. I don't think Captain Fritz caught any, but people, you know, got some calls from all over the country, and some of them blaming Dallas for getting the president killed and all of that. It was a dark. It was a dark time for Dallas. Uh, yeah. Several years after that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Once in a while, you stop somebody. They had to make something. I just look over it, but pay no attention to them. Well. <laughs> The, as far as how Dallas police were looked at after that the, that incident, it was for several years. It several was, years, yeah, yeah. It across the across the world, really. They oh, yeah. looked at Dallas, Texas. That put Dallas, Texas on the map. Yeah, is did, did they was Chief Curry? Uh, he said he took flack. Was it? Do you believe that they believed he was incompetent, or just or just it? I, I don't know. Uh, they they just wanted to blame somebody. blame somebody for yeah. everything that happened. Yeah, of course it could have happened anywhere. If you want to kill somebody, you can kill them, and of course. you don't care about getting caught. <laughs> Sonny, how after this? How did it affect you? Well, for several years, it uh, I I wouldn't talk about it. Sims and I we didn't talk about it for several years, and then. I got to reading about a lot of things when it, something happened in the newspaper. They would talk about something happened to some of the officer, and uh, there were so many things that just and I knew that wasn't true because it's supposed to happen when I was and I was there at the time. And uh, but since then, you know, like I said, I've uh, I always getting people want to talk about it and. I've gotten things from all over the world, and you know, I'm still getting stuff. Yeah, we're still here bugging you about it. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> sixty years later. Yeah. But yeah, it—I uh, don't know. It—I uh, still went to work, did my job, and uh, they—I uh, know some people. You know, they make snide remarks, but I just let them go in one ear and out the other. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. Do you do you think there could have been anything different in preparation that could have been better? Other, other yeah, than yeah, yes, I I think that I, that news conference was a bad deal. Yeah, and to tell them when we're going to transfer them and everything, you know, that night when Sims and I was getting off the last night, Sims said, "You know, Elmer says right now." You and I could get him. We could get him in the county and put him in there. Nobody ever know it. And uh, said, uh, and I said yes. And then tomorrow we'd be looking for another job. Right. <laughs> what, why did they do that news conference? I, I have not. That was some of their Chief Curry. Yeah. And I, I'm surprised the the FBI and the Secret Service even would allow that. Well, well, they knew about it, so. Yeah. Uh, it was bizarre. To, I mean, yeah. even years later. I mean, I, when I was growing up, I was uh, I, I was obsessed with the Kennedy assassination. I grew up in Dallas, so a lot of people here, my family, my mother was my mother had a scrapbook with the original newspaper clippings from from that uh, that time, yeah. and I still have it. But it's I you know after seeing that press conference, even before I was in law enforcement, I thought, why is why do they have him up there? Doing interviews in front of a crowd—it was strange. But, uh, 
It was unusual. Huh? Everything was unusual. Yeah, that it was happened unusual. Yeah. How did your career go after this incident? Well, it just uh, it went on. I kept working my murders, and then in 1969, they brought the International Association of Police Officers in, and they uh, did a survey of our department. They sent a sergeant from Chicago with 10 years' service in the traffic division to survey our department. Okay. And they, only thing they could criticize us for, that most of us wore white hats. And I thought that, <laughs> but anyway, uh, and, and the, the, he, they didn't think that it was necessary always for the detectives to re, go to the scene of a murder or well, offense. Well, that's where you make your cases. At the of course, scene. you see, you have a a trained eye yeah. that a patrolman would not. Yeah. Well, just to give you an example, I was over in West Davis. There was a an anesthesiologist from, worked for. Uh, Methodist Hospital went out. He was stabbed several times, and they found him there. And while I was there, two old ladies across the street said, well, so he, he left over the weekend, and he came back out had a little white car. And uh, so I was looking around, and I found a title on a little... Chevy two, one of those sixty-two model Chevy twos, is a smaller Chevrolet. And I called our department, and I was going to put a pickup out on that car. Oh, we can't do that. Says you don't know. You don't know if he's going to be in there or somebody else. I said, well, that's the only thing I have. So I turned around and called DPS, and they put it out. <laughs> Well, then, then, I, right, wow. then I got a good chewing out about it. Well, while I was talking to them, they picked them up in Decatur over with three of them in that car. Wow. It was an old boy I'd handled yeah. when I first went into homicide first, robbing an old lady out on Singleson. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, then, then they thought I'd done a good job. They yeah. thought I'd done well, a good job. Well, because it turned out good. So, the, yeah, it yeah, turned out good. So. It was good. Yeah. But it was bad for me. <laughs> After I took, you know, I got my shoe down. <laughs> I had to ask you about the Warren Commission. Did you testify on the Warren Commission? Yes, I you did. You did? Okay, how did that go? It went pretty good. It went pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. It's a historic, historic I'll trial. You, I'll tell you, it, it went better for me than it did one or two. If it, if it had treated me like one or two, it, really? it wouldn't have been so good. Yeah. Who, who, do you know who, who it went bad for? I know one thing, that one of them was P.T. Dean. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. What was his role? Well, he was over there uh, I think when they captured uh, Oswald, I think, and he... Oh, in uh, the Texas uh, movie theater? Yeah. yeah. Well, he, uh, I forgot what all of his role. He had a good bit... 
I read that one book in there. I don't know what all of it is true or not, but it, uh, I've only read two books. Okay. <laughs> I started on some more, but I, I couldn't go. <laughs> uh, no, I tell you, one of, that one, uh, see, they were, uh, oh, he was down at the basement there. Okay. And he's talking about when Ruby came down, and that FBI said, no, you didn't see that. No, you didn't, you didn't see that. He said, well, I damn sure did. He saw Ruby Camp come in the, the he basement. He come in, and he called him a liar. And so PTD, well, this interview's over. He got him walked out. Really? Yeah, he called him a liar. Why, didn't it, why do you think they wanted him to say I, that he didn't see that Ruby came in I, the basement? I don't know, because other people saw him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they knew him. They yeah. knew Ruby. Yeah. Uh, how did the assassination change the culture on Dallas Police Department? And what was the morale having a pres the president killed? Well, it, it was low, mm -hmm. you know. Cause, you know, everybody, it was a bad situation, you know, to have something like that happen here in Dallas. And, of course, you know, and like I said, people from all over the country, well, there's one... I think from Philadelphia, he called in congratulating us. <laughs> really? Wow. Just, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and uh, uh, Hoover called down here at that time, too. J. Edgar? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, they, uh, but, you know, it wasn't, uh, I, you know, like I said, I don't care how, much security you have if somebody gonna do something they can do it. Sure. If they have a will, they're, they're That's gonna right. find a way. They can do it. <laughs> so you've worked a lot of crime scenes, right? I've worked a and good you, they're, they're the telltale sign, correct? Pardon? They're the they tell all the story. Would you say that? About a crime like when you worked your crime scenes? Yeah. Because well, you, you said earlier that you some people said that you shouldn't go out to the crime scene. Oh yeah. I I, I always went to crime scene. That's where I got most of my information. Well, you had the rare opportunity to, to look at the crime scene on this. Yes. Is there anything that stands out that you remember when you went up in, 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 that, in that room where this crime occurred? There's a lot can come from physical evidence, even back then, yeah. right? What, yeah. what stood out at the JFK uh, murder scene that, that for you, that if you remember anything, it stood out? Oh, let me see. Oh, so one thing that stood out that I, I remember, I had, they sent me down to the records bureau to look up something. I forgot what it was now. Uh, I might have been checking on Oswald. But anyway, uh, Mr. Sarles came in. For Secret Service? Yes. Yeah. And we rode up on the elevator together. And uh, so uh, is, he walked into Captain Fritz's office, and the first thing he said to Captain Fritz, he said, Captain Fritz, as long as I'm in charge of the Secret Service here, now, you and your men will never be cut out of another parade. I didn't know what he was talking about, but, and I asked her, uh, got talking to Ken, uh, to Lieutenant Baker. He said, I'll tell you what he was talking about. 
you talk about out there last night when they kind of made fun of him when he uh, mentioned that something might happen here and told him that it'd be the worst thing that ever happened in Dallas, Texas if it did. Right. And that's what it was about. Then as I was walking in, then here comes Jim Hostey and he, when he, he said, who y'all got in here? And I told him, Lee Harvey Oswald. He said, damn it, I knew he was here. Then he denied saying it. But Lieutenant Revel and Jackie Brown, they heard him too. Yeah, there there is stories out there that Hostey, he had he went to Oswald's uh, house and he talked to Marina several times. Yeah. And that's what that's what made uh, Lee so angry. Yeah, that's what and, it was. Yeah, and he... Uh, there's uh, there's stories and of him burning his notes of the of he basically Oswald went to the FBI building, well, wrote a threatening letter to Hostie and left it there and he left it in his desk drawer. <laughs> prior to that, have you heard that? It, I heard something about yeah, it. Yeah, and he yeah. burned the uh, the letter. Uh, well, no, he got transferred pretty quick. Yeah, he got transferred really really quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh Lord. How many years were you and Sims department? Well, we was uh, he retired in '76. I retired in '78. He seventy first part of '70. We went we about nineteen, almost twenty years. So yeah. you guys were a great duo. So I'm going to ask you something, and all <laughs> the listeners want to know this. So. I trust you guys. Okay. You guys have all this experience in Dallas. It means right. you're iconic. Oh. <laughs> so, during this investigation, do you, based on the crime scene that you saw, your experience, do you feel like that Oswald acted alone? I do. You do? I sure do. Tell me why you think that. Well, Rena, I sat in there, like I said, I was sitting in on 75 to 85% of the interrogation, maybe more. And just from his actions, he was a loner. And uh, uh, I just wish that Captain Fritz could have talked to him by himself and with one of us in there. And uh, I don't know, I, did, I just feel like he was a loner. He didn't like anybody. He didn't like John Connolly because John Connolly was Secretary of the Navy and tried to get him to stay in Russia. And uh, uh, I, I just think, I think he acted alone. I just, my, I don't try to change anybody's opinion, but uh, my feeling is I think he acted alone. Sonny, I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time out to meet with us. It's an honor to sit down with you. Uh, you're part of history, whether you want to admit it or not, it, it's, it's, it stands out and it, it's quite incredible. You've had an incredible life and career and you were part of, historically in Dallas and not only the world, one of the biggest events that ever happened in our lifetime. And thank you for your time and thank you for your service. Well, Sonny, thank, thank you. you. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Batch Number 840. Uh, I, I thank y'all for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you.
sister I'll never give up on you Hey Mrs. Hey Mr. I'll see this all the way Sun and the moon, I'll never give up on you. Down when you're lonely, I'll pull you up. Life leaves you heavy when the going gets tough. I'll be your shoulder, together we'll run up from the bottom. Hey brother, hey sister, I'll never give up on you Hey missus, hey mister, I'll see this all the way I'll never give up on you.